Welcome to the Rogue Tailboard Podcast, where firemen are fired up and minimal is unacceptable. Trevor, how are we doing this morning? Oh, pretty good, man. How are you? Not too bad. Got an early head start on the day, trying to knock out things, and then uh, getting ready for a great conversation with you. We've got a, good, a lot of good stuff lined out, man. Oh, yeah, sounds good. Definitely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, brother? Yeah, so uh, I'm a rough 13-year vet of the fire service. And I got my start like a lot of other people. I started with my hometown volunteer department, uh, actually at 18 before I ever graduated high school. Uh, I've been married uh, tomorrow, will be 10 years. I'm actually sitting in Florida with my wife for our 10-year wedding anniversary. I got two wonderful boys that drive me absolutely crazy. I right, seven <laughs> seven year old and and a two year old, uh, but man, that's that's about it for like as far as my background. Now I appreciate it. big thanks to your wife for letting this little bit of time on y'all's anniversary trip down in Florida. You know that it's got to take a lot, so hopefully you don't have to make up too bad for it. Oh yeah, she's giving the thumbs up. <laughs> awesome man. Well, for those of y'all. He's with the same organization that I'm a part of. Very outstanding man. I've got to work a couple of jobs with him, and he's always the go-getter on the scene, so I'm pretty excited to have him on here and um, just moving forward with that. So what I like to ask people, Trevor, is you know, what, what got you into the fire service, man? What started your whole journey? Well, uh, my stepdad was on the, on the local VFD there, and uh, I always knew that I was going to join the, the fire department, but I actually, a lot of people may not know this, I actually was not planning on doing it for a living. I actually mm-hmm. had uh, goals of becoming a cop, and I'm kind of glad I decided okay. not to do that. <laughs> uh, but, man, like I said, whenever I started at, out of high school, I actually got out of school one day. Uh, my first day with the department, I went and picked up my bunker gear, and they got we got punched out for a nasty nasty wreck on on our major highway we run we run about a 14 mile stretch of interstate 20 and uh mm-hmm. we we made we, we made a bad wreck and uh you know, unfortunately the person was severely injured but after that wreck i was hooked you know riding in the big yeah. red truck lights and sirens like seeing the crew you know because you know being a cop you only work by yourself a lot right. of times so but being around that crew and i happened to be around some guys that i knew growing up as a kid so i was hooked and i never looked back Awesome. Man, that's that's cool that you're able to have that moment and first call right out the gate, it being a you know, a major major job, I'm assuming a pen job. And uh you just you know that it's those make or break moments, especially for new guys and even volunteers, I've seen them, you've seen them too, to where they get hit with that major call and they may be like, Yes, this is for me, or nah man, I don't know if I can do a life of this. And either way, it's a hats off, you know, but that's that's a cool story to hear, man, for sure. And uh, see, I I know you as a, our lieutenant here, and so with you being a company officer, you know, what are some of your expectations that you have for your crew members? You there? All right, we're having a little. Am I there? Yeah, you're here. All right, cool. Okay. We had a little, right. little hiccup there. Yeah, hey, I'm sorry about that. Uh. No, so my expectations are, it's very cliche sounding, but I expect them to be the best. 
whether right. it's the best at stretching a line, forcing a door, cutting a hole, mopping the floors, you know, and I don't expect them necessarily to be the best immediately. I just expect them to constantly be working on it. Um, right. You know, each, each individual spot has, it has its own uniqueness to it. You know, being a pipe, mm-hmm. being on the pipe, my nozzleman, I've actually challenged him because I've recently transferred stations. So I've got, I got a, I got a rookie fireman with me right now, uh, challenged him to become better on the nozzle, like period, like reading smoke conditions, reading the building conditions, reading what the fire is telling you. That way I don't have to baby you through it, you know, and I, and I'm helping him doing that during training, but that's what I expect of him. And of my driver, man, those dudes just get me there. Get me there safe. Don't, don't kill us on the way. Right. You know, and know, and know what, know what your hydraulics are. You know, I mean, I just, I know it sounds very cliche, but I expect them to be the best and I, I assist them any way that I can to become the best. Awesome. Cause that was kind of a two part question I was going to final up on is, you know, what ways do you ensure that those expectations are met? Like, do you follow up with them every other tour or is there certain specifics that you touch on every tour with each position or how do you go about that? Uh, mainly through the training every tour, you know, and, in, and a lot of times, you know, we, we get hung up on that training. Uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be quantity as long as it's quality. You know, if it, if it only takes us 30 minutes to go through a good quality training and we all got something from it, great. If it takes three hours, great. Uh, awesome. but we, we get, we got to tune up on it every day. I, I set the goal and expectation. Does it always happen? No. And if everybody tells me they do, they're probably lying. I, I right. set the expectation for my firefighter to stretch at least once a tour, you know, so over a 48 hour period, stretching and reloading should take five minutes. Right. Nothing, nothing to knock out. You know, so, I mean, I, I ask that to happen. Does it always? No. I mean, things happen. We get busy or, you know, we get called out too much or something like that. Right. Well, no, that, that's awesome. So going on the, the training side of it real quick, is that something you implement and you have a set agenda or do you let maybe your driver or rotate through what you're going to train on or what walk us through that with you? Uh, at the beginning when we, you know, cause I was fortunate enough to get hired uh, with a large group of people in 2020 uh, in November mm-hmm. of 2020, you know, 30 of us got hired. So it was, it was interesting because I've actually I've taken four promotional exams and I failed three out of four. The one that I passed, I got lucky enough and got hired. Uh, nice. So at the beginning, I, we set up where I was coming up with the training topics every every shift, every tour. I was coming up with it. Well, as it evolved and as the crew, as we all kind of got to know each other and get better at each one of our little spots, uh, mm-hmm. I started reaching. I told the driver, I'm like, hey, man, come up with something or even my fireman. Hey, is there something you want to come up with or? You know what? I kind of le- open it up to let the whole crew have some buy-in. Plus, right. how's my driver going to find out how to do? How's he going to take my job if he doesn't do part of my job? That's a good point. That's a very good point. And so, I mean, so for those that may not know necessarily, kind of our demographics, we are rural, starting to see a little more suburban. Um, this part of the county where you're at, you have a lot of commercial as well. You've got a lake. Is there a, is there different tactics that you feel that you guys need to be homing in on more so than not, you know, being a three man engine crew for the time being until we do get a fourth man? Uh, yeah, I'm in an, uh, so the district I was in was more, it, it felt more municipal because I come from mainly municipal background firefighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the station I just transferred to, it has a mixture of that. Like you said, it's got the rural aspect and we got the lake. Uh, that's something new for me. 
And that's mm-hmm. something that I'm having to learn and train on myself on how, how to overcome that obstacle. Uh, because we have some very long offsets mm-hmm. and we don't have any water supply. So, you know, there's a there's potential for us to have to be drafting out of a lake next like and the lines running right next to the house that's burning. You know? Yeah. So that, and that's something that I'm, I've already talked with the crew. We're going to I mean, going over it and all that type of stuff, you know, but that's a new dynamic to me. I've never really had that. That right. aspect, you know, because one organization I worked for, we had a lake, uh, but we really didn't run out there a whole lot. You know, with the <laughs> district I'm in right now, it seems like every time we turn a wheel, we're going by that lake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there, there's this specific lake, too. You have that's where kind of resort type feel is. And I know that's a whole other topic because it's notorious for getting a lot of false fire alarms. But at the same time, that one false alarm might have that whole wing up in flames when you roll up to it and you have that lake there at your disposal. Yeah, it's beneficial, but it's also it's it's a little uh, uh, crazy to think that we have that set up and it's out. It's in the middle of nowhere. Yes, <laughs> it absolutely is. So it's a. Uh, that's going to be a job of jobs. That might be an all hands on deck. That Joker actually does pop off one day for Absolutely sure. Absolutely will be. And, uh, so we have a mutual brother and friend, and I told him you were coming on. He wanted me to pick your brain on vertical venting and in sync with fire attack because he said that we will get a lot of a lot of great knowledge on that. So I'm going to curveball it real quick to you, Trevor, and tell me why that's important to you right. and tell me what you've seen work with that. Man, it's kind of the because I I also teach at local fire academy and I, I get lucky enough to tell young firefighters that are starting this type of stuff. Most of the buildings that we're going to, they they want the pop top. You know, they 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 want their roof to be cut. What you right. you think the basic fire academy and your fire behavior and smoke? What does all that smoke and heat want to do, or what does it do? It goes up. You know, it goes up, mm-hmm. then it fills the compartment, and then it starts to come back down. Why are we gonna fight what it wants to do? You know, uh, there's a lot of people that are really afraid of getting on roofs and and I have to actually there's a battalion chief right down here in Florida that I follow a lot. And and I'm taking it off of him. It's Chief Isaacson uh, down here mm-hmm. in Escambia County. You're not going to find a documented line of duty death from a firefighter that was wearing full PPE on air falling through a roof. You're not going to find it. It doesn't exist. Now, you will find some where guys have passed away, unfortunately, but they weren't on air or didn't have all their PPE on. Right. So why why are we going to fight the natural thing that that smoke wants to do when we have the capabilities, the tools and the knowledge to go ahead and cut that hole, punch the sheetrock and let it do its thing, let it come out. And it also it makes things better for us and our civilians. And that's documented. That's in data. You know, if, if anybody doesn't believe that there's data out there, the UL just put out a 384 page report on search and rescue. They've Man. got the same thing for ventilation, you know, um, but the, the vertical vent aspect, it makes things more tenable, you know, because we talk a lot about in search of the survivable space or the searchable mm-hmm. space. We can create mm-hmm. more of that by chunking a lot of water in the building and opening it up. Mm-hmm. And we're and I think that's one of the points that's being missed when it talks about searchable and survivable. Yes. We, we've got to go in there and make the grab. But why not make it more comfortable for us and our civilians by letting that heat out? Oh, you're absolutely right. And there's a post I shared just yesterday, I believe, from uh, Chief Starnes with Insight Fire Training that was a very, it was a long read for Facebook purposes, 
but it was so full of nuggets covering uh, like two or three sentences of each kind of discipline and checkbox, so to say, of your fire attack coordination, which is ultimately what you were saying, too, with that is you've got to make it what's good for them is best for us. You know, yeah, I mean, however you want to word that make the building more tenable for everybody like you we work so much better when we're not breathing at well it feels like we're breathing through a hairdryer you know, yes. your, your tank gets heated up your your hot air breathe like you you work so much better when you're comfortable so mm-hmm. why not make it more comfortable yeah i, I agree 100 percent with you man and uh, i almost kind of wonder and you know rhetorically questioning this or not but do you think it's a sense of lack of experience not getting on a roof training on a roof or just being timid of the overall concept of vertical vent that are getting a lot of these, you know, organizations that this may be a new practice to them to kind of overcome. You think? I, th- I think it's definitely a, a training aspect. You know, a lot of departments, they, they, they've been using a fan for years uh, mm-hmm. because the fire service is always evolving and changing. It's just like the smoothbore conversation. That's right. not new. You know, it's just making its trend coming back around. It's the right. same thing with ventilation. It has a lot to do with training, and sorry, chiefs that may be listening to this, a lot of chiefs are afraid to put their people on roofs, and that's just a lack of, I guess, understanding on their part, or a, honestly, it's a it's a lack of comfort take letting their people take care of business for them. You know, chiefs are not there to micromanage and dictate everything. Chiefs are there, chief officers, whether it's battalion chief and up, chiefs are there to run the show and assign us for what we need to do. But it's my job as a company officer to ensure that tactic is put into place properly. Absolutely. I, I mean, even as a, a tailboard, I respect hearing that tremendously. And I think all those points are actually an awesome entrance to this next question I've lined out for you is, you know, what's your take on the word aggressive in the fire service? And this is a two part, but uh, that's the first part of it. And then the second part I'm going to follow with is why do you feel it's misinterpreted or misunderstood? Uh, I'll try to tie them together. Uh, aggressive does not mean stupid. All right. We got to get that out of our head that, you know, uh, being aggressive is, and we've all seen the videos out there of, of training fires where guys are going into things that it looks like hell on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not being aggressive. That's being stupid. Uh, but we have to be aggressive. You know, we can't have this service above self attitude. We can't have the citizens come first. We can't have, we can talk that all we want, but until we walk it, we're, we're doing nothing. Uh, and a, an aggressive mindset is getting in the building, opening it up, flowing water from the front door to the back. Right? Literally, when you walk through, it, it, you may have to come in from a different way. But the minute you step foot in that building, you flow water until that some bitch is out. Uh, and, and But the aggressive side of it is you got to learn the smoke reading. You know, you got to read your smoke. You got to read your building. You have to. And and you have to put in that time and practice to allow yourself to be aggressive. Aggressive is making that push that nobody else would probably make. Right. You know, but the outcome is good. Uh, We recently had a fire where that was the case. It didn't look pretty, but about five minutes after us going to that building, flowing water, it did. Right. You know, you know, and it's being misinterpreted as being you're being stupid. You know, it, it's a lack of intelligence and knowledge to take all your things, all your training aspects and putting them collectively together. It's like the advanced tactics. Everybody talks advanced tactics. There are no advanced tactics. There never has been. There never will be. It's a bunch of basic tactics put together. It makes it look advanced. 
I like that. I like that a lot. You told me yeah. that a while back. That stuck with me. You know, I mean, but I mean, it, it's true. And if you if you don't believe that, then you need to reread the book. Mm-hmm. No, you're you're spot on because I do. I've seen it, and I've also heard stories about it too, where you have the incident command, and it may look squirrely to him, and so he's going to start being cautious over it because what it. But it kind of seems, and I don't mean to speak out of turn because I've never really been in that position, but I'm trying to put myself in those shoes, is you don't want the the blood or the responsibility on and they don't recover, you know. And I can understand respecting that, but at the same time, three-fourths of us, we knew what we signed up for getting into this fire service, and we hear it all the time. Look underneath your helmet. It'll tell you that it's inherently dangerous. Mm-hmm. So but we, we still know, know this and accept moving forward with the tasks. And maybe some of us need to have a, a little gut check that, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to come out of this. But this might be the call, you know, this, but if, if those people inside are still alive and worth it, then I'm going to have to fulfill my responsibility and go in there and get it. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, that's where, you know, because the like the, the nasty words and, and, and you're going to be hard pressed to hear me say these on a scene. Uh, or even in training, because I don't believe in using them uh, because they're just a tactic. But transitional or resetting the fire, mm-hmm. that's where that came from. That was from guys not wanting to bury up and be aggressive. That was them wanting to put a little bit of water in there before they go in. Well, sometimes that is necessary, but that doesn't have to be your go-to tactic. Like, it doesn't have to be your every fire, that's what we're going to do. Right. Like, just put it in the toolbox, use it when it's necessary, but it, yeah. it, that's being overused way too much. Yeah, be able to recognize that it truly calls for it. And if you're unfamiliar with it, there's so many people. Look at Dennis Laguerre, Chief Starnes again. There's They work for and studied the data to bring it to you guys. And you're, you're hurting yourself and your community if you're not paying attention to it. You know, if it's a horrible rainy day, use that as a training you know, for for all I care, but digest those facts and formulate what can work with you in your demographics with your setting. You know, you and I, we're very familiar with this. Yes, we're three-man engine companies, but you maybe not so much, but our second do sometimes is 10, 12 minutes out. And that's, you know, with competent certified firemen coming on scene to help with our box call. There's a lot that's got to get done in your first 10, 12 minutes of being on scene before you even get an extra three set of guys with you, you know, so you, you've got to study this stuff and know what works best with you with the data that's being presented. Yeah. Nerd out. Who cares? Read it. Mm-hmm. No, you, yeah, I could, couldn't agree more, man. You be a fire nerd, dude. Just really, if you say you love the job, then show it by studying it. And hey, here's, it the th- well. here's the thing that'll get everybody uh, nerd out. And if you don't want to, there's an ambulance opening. I promise. <laughs> yeah that's very fair you know they're they're definitely always needing the help we we know that firsthand and uh i mean i think now that we've kind of understood what we feel to be aggressive and how it's being misinterpreted with you being an aggressive company officer and like i said i've seen this in training i've seen this on scenes um why do you believe that being that aggressive company officer is actually vital in day-to-day operations uh <sighs> I got to be careful on how I word this, I think. Um, so you throw what, a quick disclaimer, you can. What, well, and th- this is my opinion, all right? So, and this is only an opinion. It's not a reflection of any organization I'm affiliated with. Uh, whether you promoted via your career go- job 
or you won your local popularity contest. And that's exactly what volunteer elections are, because I'm, I'm a volunteer officer as well. It's a popularity contest. Now, some do put uh, training stipulations on it, you know, and, and I'm fortunate to be a part of an organi- organization that does that. We do have certain criteria we have to meet before we can run for that spot. Right. But whether you won your popularity contest or you got the job based on promotional exam, mm-hmm. you you have to want to be aggressive to be in that spot because a lot of <clears throat> a lot of company officers are failing to realize this. And this is not just around our area. This is everywhere. And again, this is an opinion. We have that we're going to come for you mentality. The citizens come first. Okay, we all agree with that. For the most part, everybody agrees with that. What company officers are failing to realize is you move down that totem pole just a little bit the minute you sat in that right front seat. Yes, the citizens come first. The citizens do come first, but then your folks on your rig come before you. Mm. And if you're not willing to learn the building construction, learn the smoke breeding, learn what your nozzleman's actually doing with the nozzle attached to your pumper, Knowing that your driver knows his first due area, knowing that he knows how to flow that line, like all those type things. If you're not willing to put in the time and the effort for you to learn those things so that you can assist them in those, you're doing them an injustice. And Mm. for what it's worth, company officers, you go home after they do. And if you don't agree with that, go back to the back seat or go drive again. Man, as a a very respected mic drive, I, I appreciate hearing that. Because it's that's what I expect out of my company officers, you know, and, you know, if I ever get the opportunity to become one, I would hope that I am able to portray that same mentality because, yes, you do bear the brunt of the responsibility, but it's also how you conduct yourself and how you truly prioritize just the the crew, the shift, the mentality and tempo. It's I feel it has to be that way. Yeah. And you brought up the uh, go ahead. I don't think it's up for discussion. And if it is up for discussion, seriously, there's no hard feelings. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. You know, but that's the same. And that's what it's, it doesn't matter whether it's on the volley side or the career side, because I'm fortunate enough to be a part of both. Mm -hmm. You, it doesn't matter. The minute you strap on one of those bugles, it's, it's time to shut up. It's time to stop playing. It is time for you to get serious and learn how to do your damn job. Yes, absolutely. And you brought in the knowing your building construction. Yeah. I've heard some grief that, oh, we got to read the brand agains for this, you know, promotional test and all that. And here I am, even as a tailboard, I was thankful that I had an extensive career in construction versus residential and commercial. That gave me an outstanding understanding basis of these buildings. Now that they're about to be burning up, low vis, full of smoke. I know, honestly, the good amount of the integrity of those buildings, obviously modern modernization is going to come into play, you know, years down the road and stuff like that. But you have that general concept, you know, how to, here's the thing. Everybody was scared of gusset plates. Like that's, that was a, that's been a big fear the entire time I've been in the fire service is gusset plates because they're not deep seated. Not does everybody realize they're gluing this shit together now? See, that's new to me because I knew it used to just be pressed on. No, they're gluing it together now. Like, what does glue do when it gets hot? It melts instantly. Like, you know, so why not put a whole lot of water in a building as fast as we possibly can to keep that glue from melting? Absolutely. You know, you know just it is one of those things, you know, and you don't have to be a construction guru. Like, that's one thing that I think some folks have kind of misinterpreted 
You don't have to be a building construction. You don't have to be the guy to build the damn house. You right. just need to know how it was put together. Almost like an awareness level base, so to say, for us technical guys out there. You know, you got your awareness, your ops, and your techs. Be able to recognize what building that is and the general, like you said, construction of it. Yeah, well, and I, you know, I've never had a chance to meet him yet, and some people know him and some people don't, but uh, Captain Bobby Eckert up there in Jersey. Mm-hmm. He has a class specifically related to building construction for dummies. Nice. I mean, and it, you know, he puts it like on his YouTube page or something, you know, and, and he does, he breaks it down and makes it, he dumbs it down for a fireman. Look, let's get real. We're not that smart. Right. No, yeah. we're, we're blue collar. It's a technical job, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I hundred percent agree with you on that. And uh, I guess kind of going, just had this thought coming to my head question wise, but since we've been discussing aggressiveness and what that really entails, as a company officer, have you had a crew member or even in your past that maybe was not aggressive, but you had to help him get there? Or did you find a way to work with that more timid fireman who was still competent at other things? Sure, man. I mean, which I mean, I've, I've jumped around quite a bit. Uh, I've I've worked all the way from Gregg County to Kaufman County. So uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've gotten lucky enough to be around a lot of different individuals from different departments. Right. Uh, and I sure I've worked for several, several company officers that were not aggressive. And to be honest with you, by the time that they make it to their company officer level, if they're not aggressive from the word go, they're not, they're never going to be. And all you can do is watch your own ass and make sure they don't get you hurt. Fair. Uh, it, it, and that, and that is the cut and the dry of it because, you know, cause most of the time comp- for the most part, company officers have been on the job, you know, between five and 10 years mm-hmm. for the most part. If they weren't aggressive from the time they got out of rookie school until the p- time that they promoted, they're never mm-hmm. going to be. They don't have that mindset. They don't, you know, they have the mindset of I'm going to go home. You know, I'm I'm not going to do that because I don't want to get that nastiness on my gear because I'm afraid of cancer. Uh, I'm not going to do that because I don't want that roof to fall in on me. I'm not going to do that because of this, that, or the other. Right. You know, so if they don't have it, they're never going to. You just have to watch your own ass and make sure that they don't get you hurt. Right. And I would assume that that would help you out with your position you currently hold now. You know, seeing a new rookie or someone that's still maybe two, three years in and is still moldable, do you, what do you do if you – maybe subconsciously realize it or not to help make sure that they are an aggressive fireman. Uh, I just try to give them everything that I have, you know, I don't know at all. I never will. And the minute that I think I do, I'm going to hang up my coat. Um, into that. But I just try to, I try to instill in them and all the training and knowledge and background that I have, I try to give it all to them because who's mm-hmm. going to replace me them. Right. So try to give it to them and either they're going to accept it and they're going to be, all right, cool. We're ready to go. Or, they're not, and they'll eventually weed themselves out. Right. Uh, I've seen enough. I've seen enough folks do that in the fire service. It's not even funny. They they get into it. They get that first really bad fire, or really bad wreck, or something like you said earlier in the beginning of this this deal. Mm-hmm. The, and and they end up bouncing, and, and that's okay. I would rather them do that than to try to truck along to get a patch and a paycheck. Right. Oh, I agree. And, you know, go just go on. It's fine. You you can go be a banker. It's okay. We're not gonna hate you for it. Yeah, they still have a pivotal role in, you know, society, but it's just not not what we do. Right. And, you know, but if I and if I can't help them, which I'm and a lot of people that will listen to this and you knowing me a little bit, I'm blunt enough. 
that if I get to a point where I don't think you can hack it, I'm going to tell you you can't hack it. Right. You know, and it may hurt your feelings, but at the end of the day, it might actually help that person in the long run. You know, if you can't hack it, you can't hack it. You know, you're right. And bringing up the, the hurt feelings aspect, man, I've I've kind of been this way before pre-fire service anyways, because you always know where I stand with my words. And I'm not I'm not afraid to be blunt. It's not to be, you know, a dick, lack of better words about it. But sometimes people need to hear that harsh truth. And it's made it's set out of love. It's not set out of spite or you know malicious intent. And I would like to start kind of seeing that come back. And at the same time, you got to be a good recipient when that happens to you. Like if I had a company officer or a battalion chief come to me and say, hey, Snow, you're screwing up. This is what I've been seeing. Maybe you don't understand it, but we need to work on this. OK, Roger that. Yes, sir. And I will start working on that. It's not one of those times where you just hang your head and go, oh, man, he doesn't like me. I, you know, what am I doing wrong? OK, cool. There, there's a, a weakness that can be strengthened. Let's get after it. Constructive criticism is a hell of a thing if you take it the right way. Right. Yeah, I just I've seen it. I know you've heard it, too, from, you know, just different crews and experiences, man, to where you might want to discuss the problem with someone. But then when you try and you you don't find the way to have that hard talk with the person that really needs to be hearing that hard talk for that moment, you know, and I think there's a lot of alleviation that can happen if you just present that and just say, OK, we got to have this talk, man. And uh, let's be men about it or, you know, adult, mature enough about it to discuss it and move forward in a positive manner. You know, I just I feel like I'm, I'm hearing a lot of people not want to do those when it's called for, if that makes sense. And I'd like to kind of see that brought back, so to say. Yeah, well, and it, it's a generational thing and it's not just in the fire service. It, it's an everyday life. Um, if you don't like what I had to say, that's your problem, not mine. Right. No, you agree. I agree. It's definitely in, in life, too, outside of the service, because <laughs> I embarrass my wife a lot because I'm, I'm quick when those opportunities come to just say, hey, maybe we should have done this way. Or, you know, and I'm not a know it all, but common sense is telling me that that may not have been the wisest decision to make. Hey, man, common sense will carry a long way in the fire service. and It's just not that common anymore. <laughs> man, preach that. So, uh, well, man, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit with Trevor. And sure. as you. We're gaining into the fire service. You know, this could be life matters as well. But what were some adversities or failures that you've had to overcome? And due to overcoming that, that actually made you a better man and a you know a better fire service member to even be a company officer. Yeah. So um, I got started really early, um, you know, being 18, still in high school. I was an idiot. Uh, and then I got my first paid gig uh, at 19 and mm-hmm. I was a. I was a moron, you know, I, I was a know-it-all. I thought I knew more than everybody else, you know, and I, I was lucky to have the job that I had because I had a lot of guys and, and one of them actually works with our organization. I'm not going to name him, but he'll know if he's listening. Right. Uh, I, I had some guys that were, I worked with that broke me down. They kicked, they kicked my ass. They, they wore me out. Uh, and it humbled me and humbled mm-hmm. me in the right way. It, it made me, it made me a better person and fireman because I was a, I was a cocky prick for no other way of saying it. Uh, no, that's but, fair. But they, but they broke me down. And, and then, but the thing is, is there was actually a company officer that we worked with that he actually helped build me back up. He was part of the breaking, but then he helped build me back up. Awesome. Uh, and I'm very grateful for what he did. Uh, it, it did make me better because the next gig that I got, uh, 
I had a great company officer and I wasn't the same person, uh, which I've been humbled a lot in my career and everybody's going to be humbled. You're going to get humbled, you know, Oh yeah. you know, big, big time chiefs at FDNY are, are going to either, they've been humbled or they're going to get humbled, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's the reaction to being humbled of, of, of how you take it. You know, uh, do I sit here and cry about it or I'll go, oh, well, that was, that was a swift kick. I'll just take that. Right. You know, so. Uh, I hope that answered that. No, it did. And you know, I had a, a brother on here not too long ago, Ian Schulte, and he side messaged me, you know, on that saying, man, I don't know if you're doing this on purpose or not, but a lot of your guests and throughout their, their episode, you just hear where they overcome something and it positively impacted them and their decision-making and helped mold them into a better human. And he appreciated that. So I said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and start asking that question. You know, what, what were some adversities that, you know, you've overcome from that someone else can learn from and hopefully not have to experience that if they were already aware and see the warning signs that that could be happening to them. Right. Yeah, and like the adversity, like, you know, I've, I've failed three promotional exams until I finally promoted. You mm-hmm. know, I, I was 12 years in when I finally promoted, you know, uh, I was put in a position and another organization to where there were things being asked that I didn't necessarily agree with. I, I understood the direction that the chief was trying to go. I didn't like it, but I understood it. And I was put in a position to where either I take a leap of faith and take a promotion, promotional exam outside of my organization, mm-hmm. or I ride tailboard for the rest of my career. And I just wasn't okay with that. You know, so I yeah. sat down with my wife and we discussed it and I took the leap of faith and I got lucky and I got the job. That's awesome, man. And I know I'm kind of rare to the extent that things are happening wildly fast for me that I didn't really ever expect because I wanted to enjoy every bit of my career and self-pace it. But that gas pedal seems to be stuck right now. I'm trying to learn how to pump the brakes on some things. And so that in its own is a adversity for me because I do feel like I have the, the lifetime ticking against me too, being 35 and, you know, moderately still new into the service that I don't have what a 19 or 20 year old possibly could be able to offer. But, you know, at the same time, I've got to learn to really prioritize what is truly important and objectively meet those in my service career as I move forward. Hey man, I'll tell you this, you hit the ground running. You, yeah. you, you hit the ground running, boy. And it's it honestly, some of it was self-inflicted. I will admit because there were opportunities. I thought, man, this is never going to come around again. I better jump on it. And I did not expect the outcome to obviously be favorable and positive what it is. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, it's explained to my wife too. I said, baby, I'm after this little bit, I, I promise you it's going to slow down. And she just laughs at me now. So <laughs> But uh, oh, I've, I've been there. She she still laughs at me, but I, I get that for sure. Oh, yeah. It, it, I think the only thing I can say is that's driven by my love for the job and wanting to constantly be better. You know, and that's been my overall theme with this whole platform that I would have never would have guessed to have gained any kind of traction. But uh, man, if, if you don't put in the time, you're, you're not really going to go anywhere. You might just be spinning your wheels, burning rubber, and you're not having any forward movement if you don't yeah, go. It's, it's complacency. Yes. You know, and I just, I hope those are truly inspired that you, you've got to walk the talk and you might have the high hopes and high ambitions, but if you don't 
take that leap of faith like you talked about. If you don't take that risk and say, well, only one way to find out. Let's go get it. If, if you never had those moments, you're you're going to stay right where you're at, you know, until you decide to make that effort to move forward. With any- that, and you'll get disgruntled and be a piss poor bastard and nobody will want to be around you. Yeah, no, I, I could have had that. I could have. Well, there's all of the should have, would have, could have, but it doesn't mean Jack be haven't done it or willing to do it. I agree, man. I think a lot part of that, honestly, uh, canoeing testified to this definition of firemanship. You know, we're about to talk about and, uh, what it, you know, we hear it, we hear it in time, you know, student cats or you know, better in your firemanship or this or that. But, uh, what does fire shit mean to you, Lieutenant? And why does it mean what it means to you? It it means being the best damn fireman that I can be, whether that's I'm, you know, you know, great at stretching a line, great at cutting a hole, great at forcing a door, or I'm just, you know, great on taking blood pressures, you know, because that's inherent. That's a part of our job, too, is taking care of the public on the medical side, you know, uh, but and it's caring about being a fireman. You know, I'm not here for just a paycheck. Yes, it does pay my bills. It puts food on the table. But that's not the only reason that I'm doing it. You know, it, right. it's more than just a paycheck to me. And and if that's what folks are in it in for in this job for is a paycheck, man, there's something that pays a lot better that you don't have to, you know, man, be a pain in the <laughs> ass to everybody else. You know, yeah, you um, took the words out of my mouth on that one. You know, uh, but, but fire, it, it's literally in the word firemanship. Be a better fireman. It doesn't matter if you're the chief of the department or you're the brand new rookie that just started yesterday. Mm-hmm. Be better be better today than you were yesterday and then tomorrow figure out how you're going to be better than that day before it's one percent better every day man you know and, and it's not it's not that difficult it's really not i mean our job isn't really not that hard of a job mm-hmm. but it is a job that's going to kill you oh any moment and i think you can testify to this too i'm more scared to direct traffic on a counter road than to go bury up in a unknown seated structure park <laughs> man there, I think everybody should have to take driver's ed at least every five years. Seriously, you know, go, <laughs> go through the EVOC course that they make us go through to drive that big red truck. Yeah, everybody needs to do that, but on their moped. You know, they're yes, yes, I agree with you hundred percent. People suck at driving. Man, broad daylight, flattest stretch of road you can imagine. No obstructions, and they're still going to want to run you over, man. Yeah, but I mean, and that's that's what firemanship is. It's just being a better fireman. There's no other way of putting it. No, I, I agree. I, I do. And that's one of the reasons I've, I've been kind of drawn to you even on a personal level, man, is I can tell that we're very like-minded to an extent. And especially I'm at a point too, to where I'm wanting to surround myself by those like-minded individuals who had the experience so they can recognize where I'm at. And for self-growth on my end, they can check me, you know, and it's one of those I'm able to recipient it. So I, I wanted to throw that question out there because I, I feel the exact same way. Fireman, it's just like being the best carpenter, rough end carpenter framer. You know, it's that is your trade, that is your craft. And you have the ones that just cut and throw up the studs, and you have the ones that are very meticulous and they know how to angle that and how to work it to honestly give them the best edge and end result. Hey, so here's a cra- here's a crazy thought. If everybody on scene, three engines in a battalion, so you got ten folks, right? Mm-hmm. Or for for us, you know, and, and for some others, it's the same. You know, we're not all Houston, Dallas, New York, Seattle, where we have 100 people that show up. Right. But think about it as an art form. You know, it's like, you know, an artist painting a picture. Mm-hmm. What What is the what is the ultimate outcome for us? 
you know, the house not burning to the ground, right. people being pulled out, you know, and, and, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's an art mm-hmm. you know? and, and big, you know, master that art, master the, like you said, master that craft, you know, make it look like you've been there before. Absolutely. We're, we're professionals. You know, we, I hope we take that near and dear and don't yeah, just think. And I'll cool put a disclaimer on that. Professional does not mean paid. Mm-hmm. And professional is a matter of opinion. Yep. I've seen a lot of professional volunteer guys across the, the, the way. And I've seen some mm-hmm. unprofessional paid dudes. A hundred percent. I can testify to the same exact thing. You know, professionalism does not mean you collect a check for it. It's how you act whenever you're there. Yes. You, you've done your due diligence to truly understand everything that is required of you and you're executing it. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that, man. And, uh, well, we touched on this a little bit, you know, with uh, the word aggressive added to it, but with firemanship, how do you get others to buy into that, man, that maybe just don't have that desire, you know, so to say, we had Devin Craig speak not too long ago in our area, and he talked about the Rescue Randys. I'm not going to give this whole presentation away, but, you know, they're they're part of the fire department, you know, they're there, but you got to drag <laughs> them around everywhere. So, how do you get those guys to just buy into this firemanship that we talk on? Peer pressure is a son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> it, and, and it is. Even the guys that are like that, that don't want to be in the job, they're literally there to collect a check or to grab a T-shirt or to whatever. They're usually mm-hmm. the guy hiding in the damn corner, not talking to anybody. You know, peer, peer pressure is a hell of a thing. Uh, and it doesn't take long for you to be pointed out. Uh, right. If you're around a, a bunch of guys that are like-minded and they're talking fire, they're talking – this, that, or the other at the at the kitchen table, and you're the one sitting in the corner. You're probably that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that playing out that way. And so I think that's awesome. The whole peer pressure. So what do you do? Do you call them out, or your no your job talk no, not no. interested in you? Or? Yeah, no, you ain't got to call them out. You know, I mean, I know that kind of contradicts what we were talking about earlier, but you don't have to call them out. They'll 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 figure it out on their own. And a lot of times those guys end up at retirement houses anyway, so they'll go on about their business. But uh, they'll either get so uncomfortable to the point that they transfer or they quit, you know. And you you don't literally have to call. That's one of those where you actually just kind of can take a step back Mm -hmm. and not be blunt and out there in front of them. Yeah, that that, that speaks character to being that well-roundedness to be able to – see that and let it naturally play out the way it's going to play out anyways. I agree on that, man. So yeah, now five years ago, I well, brother, do you have a, you any goals you're working on? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. They're, well, they're what small, made you change? You know, they're, they're, they're small in, in nature. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to gain a couple of more certs under my belt. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of at a point right. in my career where I'm not, I'm not floating, you know, I'm, but by any stretch, but I'm, I'm comfortable where I'm at. You know, I want to stay in my role for a while. Uh, but, mm. you know, they're just, you know, I'd like to, you know, increase my officer, you know, training. You know, I'd like to get the next step, you know, go to that officer two. I'd like to get my instructor two and eventually the instructor three. But I've met way too many people that say that class is hell, um, <laughs> you know, because I really enjoy the teaching side of things. I enjoy working at the fire academy. Uh that that's mainly my goals. You know, certifications don't make you a better fireman by any stretch. That piece of paper is literally, you can read and pass a test. Right. Um, 
but I still would like to gain it, you know, because at some point later down the road, I am going to want to try to promote again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, which, you know, uh, better than most that in our organization, my next promotional is going to be in the training division. And uh, I just, I kind of want to set myself up to where I'm ready to just step into that role. And, you know, the, the chief over training doesn't have to worry about whether I can do it or not. You know, he knows the minute I promote into that spot, uh, he's shored up. He's good to go. He has everything he needs. Absolutely. And he's seen you firsthand on the company officer level with how you are during training evolutions to begin with. You know, you you had me. uh, What's the right word to say it fired up, I guess, when we did this last little search drill training Mm -hmm. and you had one of your firemen try and go through the studs. And as our Mayday escape route, or 16-inch on center studs, and before he even exerted any effort, he just went ahead and took his pack off. And you said, hell no, that's a last resort. You try and get your ass through there. And if you can't, you know, don't push it to where you're stuck, but then go ahead and do that. And so just seeing you instinctively doing that, you know, in training, we tried to make a little chaotic with ambient noises and different things. But uh, I thought that was pretty spot on, pretty awesome that – that's a company officer is what I told myself right there. I said, he is taking the time in the middle of this evolution to correct uh, an error that's warranted at that specific point in time. And it's challenging him to remember he has options that that's not the only way to go. Well, and I, I you know, I try, you know, as, as a company officer, here's, here's something crazy and a, and a crazy thought, you know, love your people. You don't have to like them. You know, you don't actually have to like that person, but you do have to love that person whenever they're under your so-called command. Uh, And if you don't, then y'all need to sit down and figure out something else. You need you need to find either somebody to replace him or you need to go. Uh, And that's not why I transferred, just in case any of my guys hear this. Um, uh, But you have to love your people. And, you know, that that instance you're talking about that that was a setting that he could have if that was real world he could have potentially messed up to a point that we would have been carrying him in a casket. Right. You know, God forbid he falls over the next side, that air pack falls all the way to the ground floor. He's on second floor. It falls all the way to the ground and he doesn't have an airway protection and he takes in that superheated gas and he's done. Right. You know, so, I mean, you, you, you have to love your people at, on all levels. Like I said, you do not have to like them, but you do have to love them. Yeah. I think that's a two a road too. You know, it's it's not just the officer mentality either. You know, that's tailboard driver, everything. Well, and it's like you asked me the my expectations for my crew. Uh, Every company officer ought to have the same thing of ask them what they expect, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and trust, you know, because trust doesn't just have to fall between the company officer and and the battalion. The the trust has to be within the entire crew. I have to trust that my fireman and my driver are going to know their job and, and do it the right way. But they also have to trust that I will, too. Right. You know, and that, that'll come with the experience. That'll come with the training. So we see where we're at during practice before it's game day. You know, I agree on that. Were those things that you day one, even with your transfer? And like you said, we just we had some new opportunities, new positions. And so they had to get fulfilled and personnel had to, you know, be reallocated. You know, for those listening, wondering what happened. There, there's no bad blood by any means. But um. Was that just a day one at your new house? Hey, guys, this is – did you just have that talk of expectations or did you kind of work it in when you thought it was appropriate? You know, how'd you go about that? Uh, no, uh, first day. I did it the first day that we were on shift in 2020 with that crew. 
mm-hmm. then whenever I transferred, I did it with that crew as well. Now, currently, uh, my driver is off. Uh, unfortunately, he, he's he's off due to due to an injury. Uh, right. But I've worked I've worked around with him enough. I think we're it'll be fine. Like he already knows expectations. But I did sit my fireman down and tell him uh, mm-hmm. because the thing about firemen, if you don't tell them what you expect, they're gonna run hog wild. And that's because that's the way I was as a as a tailboard fireman. If I didn't have an officer that told me what he expected, I just did my own damn thing. Right. You know, and not necessarily that it was the wrong thing or a bad thing. It's just I didn't meet officer expectations, and which I mean, I gotten, I've gotten several talkings from company <laughs> officers in my career of me doing my thing, and uh, I'm like, well, you didn't tell me what you wanted. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. It's not being rebellious or freelancing. You, you had different priorities and objectives that needed to be met, I'm assuming, and you handled it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, and, but a good fireman's going to do that anyway. Right. You know, a good fireman's going to do what needs to be done. And I'm not saying that I'm a good fireman. I'm just saying that if, if I don't tell my crew what I expect, they're never going to know. You know, I can't say, well, damn it, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. Well, I didn't know what you wanted me to do because you didn't tell me. Right. Uh, I think that's important. You know, we had that talk too with our, our company officer, you know, day one out the gate and stuff like that. And so I think it's important. You have to, you understand. And yes, we want to be, you know, as much of a family and we all self police and carry our own weight and do this and that, but, you know, on scenes and stuff like this, this is the expectations within your scope of responsibilities. And, you know, I just, I think that's important to have, hopefully everyone's having that when, when it's called for and not just a, Hey guys, we're going to clock in and you know, we're just going to see what the day brings as a crow flies. That, yeah, that's uh, not well, really a we, good way we to all, go. We all know better than that. Yeah. I was going to say that, that ain't, that ain't, that ain't happening. <laughs> nah. So, well, man, since we're talking kind of, you know, company expectations and stuff like that, what, uh, what advice do you have for the rookie, whether he's 19 or 35, you know, with life experience or not, in the fire service, you know, what, what advice do you have for them? All right. This isn't meant to be negative. All right. But you have two eyes, two ears and one mouth for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there is a time and a place to ask the question. There is a time and a place to question certain things, but you have two eyes, two ears and one mouth. Like, you know, just take a second, chill out, listen, watch, then ask. Yeah, you know, there's times not, where that question will get answered before you even have the opportunity to ask it. I've, a lot I've of times, and and I'm speaking from experience myself. From whenever I was getting my ass whooped at that organization that I work for, it's because I was using the one thing more than the other four. <laughs> no, that's that's very fair. It's very true. You know, and I don't know what it is because we all we all have the talkers. You know, yes, I talk on this podcast, but. If you know me well enough too, I'm I'm more in the background watching, observing, and interjecting when I think it's warranted. Or if we're just small talking, shooting the crap, that's one thing. But uh, I'm here to learn, you know, and that's just been my big thing. And I really encourage that on any level, especially as a rookie. You know, day one, you're here to learn. You know, yes, sir. What can we do? And what what do I need to know? What's like you said, the expectation stuff. I need to know my responsibilities so I can fulfill them. Well, and and for anybody that's listening that is a probie or coming off of being a probie or, hell, even if somebody's listening to this, thinking about getting in the fire service, it's Mm -hmm. all right to ask why. 
you just have to figure out the right time. Yes. You know, you that that you just have to plug it in at the right moment. Uh, and if you happen to get with a shitbag company officer, transfer. Seriously, transfer. Talk to whoever you have to talk to about transferring. Yeah, there's no shame in saying, hey, this just isn't the right fit. I'm not getting the most that I can be for y'all. You know, see what you see what can come of it. But I do agree yeah. with you on that. Don't don't call that company officer a shit bag to his face because that is not going to play out well. But you can tell somebody behind closed doors that you're tra- that you want to transfer because of that reason. Mm-hmm. And but be prepared for hard talks too. You have no idea how that you know upper ranking officer might decide to handle it. So oh, yeah. just make make sure <laughs> that that is ultimately what a, a you're a good wanting portion to of the time you're going to get to just get over it. But right, yeah, that's what it is. You and going back to what you say, you don't have to like everybody, but you got to love them. Yep. Yeah. So, no, I agree with you on the listening more than speaking. There's, I'm sure anyone listening right now, they can probably rattle off to that popped right into their head on this. And uh, how do you, how do you politely tell that person who has an opinion for everything that's moderately doing the service to chill out? You know, so going that's back one, to that, that's one area that I fail in greatly. Uh, I yeah. fail in doing it politely. Um, and that's that just my personality, the way I've always been. Uh, I, I'm working on it, you know, always working on it. But that's where I fail. I fail in doing it politely. Usually I'm turning around going, shut the hell up. <laughs> like, and I leave it at that. I mean, I'll, I'll eventually come back and explain and talk. But whenever there's things going on, I typically am not very polite about it. And, you know, I'll say it's a failure on my part. Look, I've, I've done enough interviews in my like uh, job interviews that you know they always ask what's your strongest what's your what is your strength and what is your weakness well mine's twofold I'm brutally honest right and it it hurts me a lot more than it helps me uh, and it right. even comes in, in the position I'm in um, I, that's something I'm working on but I'm usually not very polite about it <laughs> yeah no and that that's fair man you know and I appreciate your transparency on that because there's there's a lot of others that have similar traits and whether they recognize it's good or bad or however they want to be deemed it. I do appreciate, I am one that does appreciate honesty. I don't like sugarcoating. I don't appreciate being sugarcoated. I, I want the raw factual. And if you think it's going to hurt me, then a little disclaimer, Hey, if this is about to be a tough talk, I can handle it. Let me know. And we'll move forward with it. But uh, no, I appreciate the honesty. And like I said earlier, I'd like to see that kind of come back, but you know, don't don't be the the safety hall pass guy that's looking to get everyone in trouble or correctly check everyone at every point in time. But, you know, at the same time, have the courage to do it when it's truly needed. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but man, this has been it's been an awesome, awesome conversation, brother. I can definitely roll on for a hot minute with you on this. But uh as we're wrapping up, there's one thing that I love asking and you've heard these episodes and you've got my, my question list here, but I love to always end on what is setting the standard mean to you? Because you know what it means to me. Everyone with that follows this platform knows what it means to me, but I want to hear what it means to you. Yeah. And I'll, I'll direct this directly at uh, company officer level. Uh, sure. Setting the standard is, it's exactly what it is that that, like that wording is like, don't take it for more than what it's worth. You are setting the standard. How are, how are you showing to your men or women? You know, how are you showing to your crew 
what we're doing here. Okay, we have the service above. Great. Are you exuding that? Hmm. We're putting citizens first. Great. Are you putting the citizens first? Hmm. You know, are you stretching that line that you expect your firemen to stretch the right way? Are you making the tactically sound decision to make everything better so that your battalion chief is not freaking out? Like, are, are you doing that? If you're not, you're not setting that standard. Man. That was well put, brother. That was well put. You know, and mine is, like you said, the stretching lines. We could exhaust that the for two months, tours back to back, and then you're on a training call where it entitles stretching, and you just failed miserably at it. But it was second nature. You know, well, what are you going to do? You just gonna say that was a bad moment, or you gonna self initiate? When I get back, we recover from this. I'm gonna go out there and, and stretch. Now I'm, I'm gonna re get this down so that doesn't happen again. Because that that two three minutes of fixing that fumble could have been an extra two three minutes. Hey, here's the thing in training: be vulnerable. Failure is mm. an option in training, not on the real thing. Yeah, I'm seeing more and more of that, brother. I'm. I'm Glad to see that overall there's this click moment going on the fire service, which I thought should have always been there, but it's getting a lot more awareness that it's okay to fail, but how you're feeling and how you're overcoming that failure is why it's okay. Yeah, but yeah. fail in training. If you fail on the real thing, somebody's life's in danger. Yes. Whether it's a civilian or another firefighter, you fail on the real deal, somebody's life's in danger. Yep. And it's not just structure fires and grabs. Look at your pin jobs. You know, that that's a grab, man. You're rescuing that victim from a harsh, immediate IDLH environment, period. Yeah, it, I think sometimes we get stuck in that box of, oh, it's only in structure fires when it matters. Well, it's all the time, but there's other extremes that require a lot of critical thinking to save life. Oh, hell, I'll go on for another hour about vehicle extrication because there's way too many times where I see somebody make the wrong move and it puts more pressure on that patient and i'm like what are you doing hang on time out you watch the way things are being manipulated and you're put you're making things worse stop absolutely and i don't i guess maybe we had this luxury in our county and where we're at with all the rec yards and the willingness to cooperate and work with one another but for those of y'all listening if you think that you can't train on a car call your local record the next time you're on a car wreck scene talk to that giant like hey man you know, if this is getting told or whatnot, can can you drop it off at our station for a day and we can train on it? You know, do the you can make it happen. More so than not, the citizens that fulfill those roles of jobs are all about getting you the experience and the training on it. I have yet to have one in my our area tell us no, we can't. You know. Yeah, but we are lucky. We've got like eight thousand record yards. It seems like around <laughs> us. Let me say that with. That was mildly biased. We are pretty saturated. Yeah, we got like four in the north, six in the south. Like it's just we're, we're fortunate that we're lacking, and luckily training divisions grabbed a hold, and my battalion we grabbed a hold of some vacants lately. Man, uh, I'm telling you, but you know that's hard to get anymore. Yes, it is. Yeah, that that's a well sought out thing. So to actually have our organization be able to provide that is phenomenal. You know and. All it takes is for those that are listening, all it takes is just that asking. You don't know until you find out. Just ask around. Give it to the demo company. You know, you see it going down on, on a road on your day off or whatnot. 
pop by and just ask for the card and say, hey, man, can you keep us in mind? <clears throat> just, that, what I'm getting at is there's no excuses, Trevor. You know what I mean? There there really is no excuses to being oh, sure there is. Sure there is. They're just not worth a damn. You, well, you yeah, can have an excuse all you want, but they're just not worth a damn. You know, uh, that that's where, you know, going on. And I know we've already been going for about an hour, but it's the training. Man. Training, it bugs the ever-loving piss out of me that we don't have people that are willing to be vulnerable to learn. It, it just burns my ass up. I haven't been doing this that long, but I've yeah. been doing it long enough. I have an idea of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But I also really enjoy the training. And I actually, whether people believe this or not, I like whenever things go wrong in training yes, because it makes the training better, you know, yep. but we're too afraid of showing that person next to us that we don't know what we're doing. It speaks yep. volumes to a rookie when a senior man fuck something up. Sorry. No, I'm it's your episode. I mean, you can speak freely. Yeah. I mean, yep. it, it, it really speaks volumes to a rookie to watch a senior man do, do something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, because to a lot of a lot of rookies, senior mans and company officers, they, they look like Superman to them and they think yeah. they can do no wrong until they do. And then they're like, oh, shit, they're human. Yeah, it's that human element. You just nailed it. Yeah, we're we're all human. You know, we, we might have X amount of years more than the next guy or what have you, but there's always going to be that that opportunity. But in going back to what we've been talking about earlier, it's how you learn from that, how you overcome that. That truly matters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how, how do you handle whenever you screw something up? You. You know, you either you cry about it or you're like, oh, damn, I need to do better at that next time. Absolutely. Or do better at it right then, you know. So yeah. and I'll put in another disclaimer since we're we're closing it down. And, and I hope that uh, Chief Clanton, I hope that you end up listening to this. And uh, Trotty, because I know, Trotty, you're a part of the Rogue Tailboard. Uh, can we please get rid of three-piece Halligans? <laughs> you know, can we please get some forged real <laughs> Halligans? Like, three? whoever came up with a three-piece Halligan is – Honestly, uh, to hell with you. Uh, you. You made a cheap piece of shit, and we need to get rid of them. Man, I don't know if you – I'm laughing harder because I just thought of Zachary Newton's drawing where he did spring cleaning, and you see all the outdated stuff that's in that trash can and the three-piece Halligan's obviously yeah. notable. You know, and, and that's the thing about you know our organization. Thank God we have forward-thinking people where we have this new hose and nozzle package. And Man. we're doing incredible things, but all right, we've got that. All right, let's move on. Let's get rid of uh, guards on chainsaws for ventilation, and let's get some real Halligan bars. Yes, absolutely. No, <laughs> I agree, man. And one one bite at a time is, I'm sure, going to be the answer we're told. But <laughs> oh, I'm sure. But you know, if I don't say it, when I say it, it makes me feel better. No, I agree. It's it's out there. That's what that is. When when you speak words, they're out there. There there's no coming back from it. But I agree with that. It's it's more of a hinder hindrance than it is an actual asset. Yep. You know, if I'm trying to force the door and that joker all of a sudden pops, oh well, I got a replaceable ads right here. I got a replaceable forks. Let me just get. Do you have the cotter key that fell out real quick? Or yeah. What what can we do? No, we don't yeah. have time for that. Dumb dumbest thing ever made. Seriously, <laughs> I like, dumbest thing ever made. <laughs> there you have it folks so if you're looking at getting three pieces save yourself the time and do not do it it's fireman tried and true to say no it does not work no well man like i said as we're wrapping up brother is there anyone that you want to give some recognition to or you know a uh, quick thank the praise because it's your episode by all means yeah, brother no i mean i you know I, there's too many people out there um 
you know, which I know he, he ain't going to listen to it, but I got an old captain that he's retired now. Uh, that dude has helped mold and shape me in, into being what I've, what I am, I guess. And, and everybody just understand this is all opinions for me. Uh, and I didn't right. come up with this shit. I learned this from somebody else, you know? Uh, right. And if, if, if something that, you know, I said ends up hurting your feelings, you'll be all right. You'll get happy in the same pants you got mad in. Um, <laughs> you know, but I, I didn't, I didn't come up with this. This is how I interpret things that I've learned. Right. You know, I just, I'm fairly passionate about it. And, uh, no, I mean, I, I appreciate where I've come in my career. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm very humbled and flattered that I was able to come on here and, you know, talk for a little bit because a lot of people don't like listening to me ramble. Uh, but I'm humbled. I'm flattered. I even got text messages after you posted that, hey, we got Smurl coming on. I uh, I was flattered that people were like, hell yeah, let's listen to this. I got uh, a lot in return too, brother. So you know, it's a tad, so, hats off to who you really are, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, you know, and 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 I'm I'm happy. I can say I'm flattered and I'm happy about that because that means that you know, uh, maybe maybe I'm not a shitbag, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I'm I'm grateful. Thank you. Uh, this was awesome. I'm glad you let me uh, just kind of ramble. Oh yeah, man. Anytime. That, I love it's. These are more. These episodes are more like bumper talks over a telephone, man, than an actual like podcast type feel if that makes sense i just Damn, the only thing we're missing is good cigar man you ain't lying on that one i mean shoot my my dalmatian already fell asleep at my feet and it's been that long i guess <laughs> but usually he's wound up trying to get attention he ain't having it right now but uh well, man i appreciate it trevor again uh please enjoy your time and happy early anniversary to you hey and, thank uh, you hey i made it yes <laughs> you made it <laughs> you made it brother but, man, thank you guys for listening and tuning in. And, uh, Trevor, we'll see you on the next big one, brother. All right. Sounds good. See y'all.